This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from with new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the Therapy Group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned, because in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. Do you want to talk about some emotional boundaries? How to set them, what they are, what do we do with them? What's happening? What's happening? Who am I? Emotional boundaries. Who are you? Who am I? As you all know, as you all know, as you all know, <laughs> therapists love boundaries. Our favorite. We, we do. Also, we have a big boner for the big B word. <laughs> and we love emotions. We love feelings. So and boundaries. Boundary marrying boundaries and emotions. Let's talk about it. Let's chat. So Jen, what's an emotional boundary? Emotional boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> emotional boundaries. Are, is the space that we create between ourselves and other people, mm. right? So like making sure that we are settled in our own emotions separate from other people's emotions. So we are not taking on the emotions of other people's. One of the places that this is very challenging is... Your parents. And... Your partners. Exactly. <laughs> it's the two... The peas. The peas. The peas the and, the and the peas, baby would say it's the most difficult place to do it because also the ways in which we were unable to set emotional boundaries with our parents is often the way we're unable to set emotional boundaries with our partner. Dun, dun, dun. So let's talk about it. Let's chat. Okay. So let's we're gonna start with a good question that I think will kick we'll us off. Things. What is the line between honoring and feeling an emotion and setting a boundary for it? Okay. So here's the deal. We feel lots of feelings all day long. 
Little feelings, deep feelings, complex feelings, fleeting feelings, stagnant feelings, 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 feelings. I should write a children's book. (laughs) And (laughs) the thing is, it's important to honor them. But sometimes as we honor them, we project them. And I assume that what I'm feeling is how you're feeling and putting on to me. So if I am highly activated and dysregulated and I think Jen's mad at me and I'm feeling bad, I might then project that onto her and I then can't figure out what's her feeling versus what's my feeling. And that's when the boundary needs to be set. Have we ever had a time that that has happened between us? I can't think of one. No. I was trying to think of one. No, I don't think so. That's not really our thing. It's not our thing. What's our thing? Talking things out. Like, yeah, like our thing is like annoyingly overly processing and dissecting something to like a disgusting, like horrible point. Right. Painful. Yeah. So like I would say that is our dysfunction. And I think one of the ways that we see this play out in couples therapy a lot of the time is when someone is saying, well, you made me feel this way. You Mm. did this and that is why I feel this way. So it's your fault that I feel this way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And so in that you're not taking responsibility for your own emotions doesn't mean that your partner cannot change their actions, that they can do something differently to make sure that they can hold better space for you and that doesn't trigger the emotion that comes up for you. But when you don't take responsibility for your own emotion, you put that emotion in the hands of someone else, right? You say, well, unless you change, then I cannot regulate myself. I've heard this often with sex in the bedroom. Yeah. Where someone is struggling with their own self-confidence and body image and they think that their partner's not attracted to them. And like typically, especially if we're talking about like heterosexual men, they're like, yeah, I'm attracted to anything. Um, (laughs) And so like, it's right. Like, and so it becomes this like really complex thing of like, what's mine versus what's yours. And this is very complicated, especially from a lot of us that are going through things like intergenerational trauma trying to change our family stories and things that have been inherited. And we can really take on stuff that belongs to other people in our lives. Oh, yeah. Let's start with some more questions. Okay. How to set these emotional boundaries without coming off as rude or demanding? Mm. I think that's really interesting because also, and we had just talked about this in our last episode, The assumption is that if you are setting these boundaries around your emotions, that it's going to come off as rude or demanding. Now, if the way you set the boundary is, well, you didn't fucking tell your mother to come over. It might sound (laughs) rude rude. or demanding. (laughs) Rude and demanding. (laughs) If you say, hey, I felt really overwhelmed because I was totally surprised by your mom's visit today. I was not prepared and I really want us to be able to talk about this sooner. But I can see that you were highly anxious when she called and asked to come over. And I think I took that on. That's not rude and demanding, right? So context is key. What we say about everything is how much tone, like how much tone and context matters when talking. And also owning the emotion in that where you said, I felt really overwhelmed in that, right? Right. As opposed to, well, you invited your mother over, right? Where we're blaming the other person as opposed to saying, 
I was feeling really overwhelmed. And that's where this was coming from for me. You're setting that emotional boundary by taking responsibility over the emotion that you have and setting a boundary around it and saying, I can understand that you were feeling really anxious, right? That's them. And I was feeling really overwhelmed that there's a separation between the two. Yeah. And that it's not about you getting angry at the other person because they made you feel this way, right? That there's no boundary. It's diffuse. It's one big enmeshed ball of emotion. <laughs> we want to get away from that. <laughs> Do you know what a rat king is? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right term and Nikki's not here to look it up for me right now. And usually when I see something obscene, Nikki's in the corner Googling it, but she's not here today. Or she'll or look she's... at us from the corner and be like, <laughs> don't say that, Emily. But like, okay, there's this thing called like a fucking rat king where like a bunch of rats are together and their tails get caught together. So then the rats have to walk together. What? And that's like sometimes what I think about him. You're gonna, guys, you're gonna cut this out of the episode, aren't they? Wait, what? Do you think I just made that up? A bunch <laughs> of rats' tails get tangled <laughs> together. I wonder if I made this entire thing up right now. Okay. If I saw a bunch of rats with their tails tangled together, I don't know if I would still exist on this earth. <laughs> you know that that would be the most Philly thing you've ever seen in your life. Actually. Now, if you have emotional cutoff boundaries, you might not give a shit what other people think and feel, but that's not good either. Right. That was so, a good segue. You like that segue? Yeah. So what we're talking about is there's there's an in-between between selfish and selfless and it's self-care. And part of self-care is also being in touch with your emotions and boundaring them off and know what's my shit versus what's your shit. And I cannot be there for your shit and in present if I do not know my own. Fuck yeah. There's also some chicken gangs in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> Where were there chicken gangs? I saw a few chickens once. It was scary. <laughs> I am thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on their accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. 
A really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I have felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair cut or went to the salon, which is of course the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty free and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I used this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that Pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash chicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash chicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash chicks. Let's move on. I have another question. <laughs> How to set emotional boundaries regarding taking everything personally? Okay. Yeah. I have something. So we talked about sex and how this very so yes. often comes yes. up sexually, right? Where if your partner wants to have sex and you reject them, right? Because there are so say many. no is not a rejection, but it feels like a rejection. Is that what it you feels mean? like a rejection yeah. to them, right? If you say no, I should say that. Yes. If you say no. Because there's so many reasons why you don't want to have sex. So many reasons to and to not have sex. To do with your partner, right? But because sex is such an intimate, you know, bid of connection. For some people. For some people, right? It can feel so rejecting for some people in relationships. And so that's a perfect example of because... I am saying no, right? And this is something that I'm choosing to do for myself. And your partner taking that on is not setting that emotional boundary, right? That they automatically are taking it personally. And so to be able to say, this is not about you. This is about me. This is about something I'm making a choice for my body, what feels right for me. And to be able to verbally express that that boundary is so important to you so that your partner isn't taking it as personally. Yeah. And I think part of like accepting it from other people is also like doing it for ourselves, right? So like I can't respect your no unless I'm willing to also give my own and like make space for that, right? Like I cannot validate your boundaries unless I also um validate my own. Okay, how do you learn to give yourself grace and not feel like you have to go to 100% all the time? Give yourself grace, set emotional boundaries for yourself. So I wonder, you know, it sounds like this person puts a lot of pressure on themselves, right? If I'm, it sounds like this person might be a perfectionist if they have this expectation that they're, they have to go a hundred percent all of the time. I wonder if that means in their relationships, if that means at work, like what does that mean to them? And so 
I wonder if setting an emotional boundary and connection to this is about them being able to take some time to say, how am I feeling pushing myself to this extent? And what do I need in these moments to be able to take care of my emotions and really sit with myself? And sometimes part of the reason why we go 100% is to avoid certain emotions that maybe are creeping up for us. Mm -hmm. And so to ask yourself, like, what's the reason why I'm putting this amount of pressure on myself to go 100%? Is there something I'm avoiding? Is there something I'm keeping myself from feeling? And so... Right now, I wonder if going 100% is your way in which to try to protect yourself, whereas setting the emotional boundary might be a healthier way of protecting yourself, might be an easier way of taking care of yourself than going 100% because that'll wear you down. It will. And I keep thinking about this idea of like what we are in a lot of ways really talking about is emotional enmeshment, right? Which I know we've had, um, we have talked about boundaries in terms of like family relationships. And if I'm overly enmeshed in a relationship, if I confuse us, if I'm overly connected to someone, right? Like, and we could call it enmeshment, call it codependency, call it whatever the fuck you want, fusion. But what it's also talking about is like, then like, we don't, I don't exist separately from you. And that makes it very hard to be a functioning human without you. And so then what happens if somebody goes away or goes on even on a vacation or a vacation to the other side of the world of living and dead, right? Like when someone dies, you know, like yeah. truly like we're not talking about like don't be detached. Like that's what I'm saying. Like there is like a medium in between all of this of like being able to truly respect people for who they are and what they feel and also know like that's not necessarily means that like that's how I have to feel. Yeah. I think a, a way, a time in which this is really challenging in your romantic relationships is like when your partner's going through a really tough time, right? And they're coming home and you really see them struggling. And I think sometimes we confuse caring about someone with like taking on their emotion, right? We think that, you know, if I really care, I need to like fully be in it with my partner. Yeah. But, when you get sucked into it with your partner, it takes away your ability to really be there for them, for, to first be able to be there for them and also be able to be there for yourself. Because so much, you know, if you if you have a partner that's sick or you have a parent that's sick or there's so much focus on the person who's struggling and the caregiver or someone who's taking care of the other person there isn't that much focus. And I think the caregiver often doesn't focus that, well, I have to be there for the other person. They're struggling. But what happens is you so easily lose yourself in that and you get sucked into it. If you don't take the time to really say, how do I make sure I'm okay and I'm solid in the face of what my partner's struggling with so that I can actually be there for them and so that I don't get sucked into it. So I, I keep thinking about it in terms of like, okay, so like, let's say your mom is really mad at you. And like you're very close with your mother and you do not like your mother to be mad at you. And by your mother being mad at you, you then think, OK, well, since she's mad, I feel so shitty today. Right. Like you can't separate. Yeah. She could be 50,000 miles away. And like you could have huge physical boundaries and no emotional boundaries. Yeah. So. Right. So like so my mom's mad at me. And so or my child's mad at me or my partner or my fucking boss. And then it literally ruins my entire day. It ties into one of these questions. Someone said how to stop perseverating. 
Yeah. Which is like exactly what you're speaking to. Yeah, is okay, that- yeah. So then you can't stop thinking about it. It takes up your entire day. You can't be present at work. You can't be present with your dog. You can't even watch the damn episode of Severance you want to watch. Great Severance. Show. Great show. Um, but wait till episode nine. <laughs> it's the best. Um, but like, how do you then stop doing that? So one of the things you have to know is that overthinking will not think you out of it or give you a solution. You think that's what you're doing. You think if you keep thinking about this, you'll find an answer. But often there isn't one. Someone's mad. That's it. Doesn't necessarily mean you apologize or you don't, you take responsibility or you don't, you figure out what that works for you. But overthinking and ruining your day or ruining your week, ruining your fucking month is not going to make it feel better. It's just going to train you. I also think this comes up in like arguments with your partner where one person needs to solve the issue immediately, mm. right? Where there's, you know, you hear this so often in dynamics where one person needs space in the in the argument and the other person needs to, to solve it immediately because they have too much anxiety. They cannot handle there being any sort of anxiety in the relationship. And so they're like, I need to solve this. We need to get this done. But the other partner needs their space. That's an example of the partner not uh, really having a hard time being able to regulate their emotion in that argument, right? It's like completely taking over their being. They're not able to separate themselves from the argument, being able to say, well, how do I regulate my own emotion? How do I set my own emotional boundaries? In order to come back to this with more of a level head, because that's so important to be able to solve arguments or to be able to work on things together is that to be able to take your time separately, be able to regulate your own emotions and then come back together to be able to work through it in a way that really works for the relationship. I really like uh, Daniel Segal. Mm, Is that who it is? Not sure. The whole brain child. And that's like what they talk about. Like when they talk about it in terms of I, I find it very helpful I read it. We, my husband and I had listened to it on Audible, um, how we do all of our reading. And it was so helpful in understanding like children's brain states of like the fact matters, like when they're having meltdown, like it doesn't matter what you say, like they're in meltdown mode. Right. So like but I thought that this information was incredibly helpful for all of us, no matter our developmental level, because the fact of the matter is if my brain state is not able to to hear or receive information, it's so pointless. Right. And same with somebody else. And so to know that about yourself, that you are- Or other people. Can you see when your partner or your parent or anyone else in your life is totally dysregulated? And what do you do with that? Because if you keep going with it, it's not going to do anything. And so it might be important to talk about, like, how do you set that emotional boundary for yourself? How do you take the time to regulate your own emotions? Something I've talked about on here is that I'm very- empathetic. I take things off. I'm very sensitive to my environment. When I was in college, I was completely unaware of this. <laughs> However, was always inundated with just like sensory stuff that completely overwhelmed me. And when you're, you know, when I was in college, we went to parties and it was, it was a lot. And so I would have to frequently like go into the bathroom just to like chill mm-hmm. there to be separate from other people because I was like too overwhelmed. And so physical space can be really helpful in being able to center, recenter yourself and set an emotional boundary for yourself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? If you're around a lot of people and you're someone who takes in a lot, to be able to get that separate space for yourself 
to say this is where I regulate my emotions is so important. Yeah, absolutely. How to care connect in a helping profession like teaching or nursing without getting caught up. Here's a really good example of emotional boundaries, right? There are things that we witness in helping professions that are secondhand trauma. And when I have endured secondhand trauma, I'm in a different brain state than to be able to consciously and actively and intentionally set an emotional boundary, right? A typical day at the office, I can be like, all right, I'm walking into my house, very intentional, very conscious. I'm going to leave the things of the office that was there. I'm going to enter and be present at home, right? When you had a particularly difficult day, if you have a student that is struggling, has food insecurity, if you had a really difficult day, um, went through COVID and had the trauma from that, right? Like it, that is going to be different because it isn't as intentional, right? Because then what we're talking about is like the trauma response. So being aware of how something is affecting you is the best that we can try but sometimes, no matter how skilled you are at your helping profession, you don't see it when it's happening. I can't tell you the amount of therapists we've talked to that didn't realize how depressed or how anxious or how bad something was until later. And even though we think like, oh, well, it couldn't happen to us. We know better. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's just not like that. So part of that is like trying our best and then having a ton of compassion for the fact that like, no matter what your career is, like you're human first always. I also think that's something we didn't, I don't want to speak for you, of course, because emotional boundaries, <laughs> but I didn't, I don't think I was able to really tell how much things were affecting me until I like knew myself very much as a therapist. I don't feel like they taught us that. They didn't. I don't think they did. I feel like they were like, oh, like you, you know what I mean? Like have boundaries, but no one's like, oh, also like sometimes you're gonna end up totally fucked up from like someone you work with. And especially if you, if you see a bunch of people in a row, you know, also depending on what, you know, that, that will wear you down. Yeah. And I don't know. You know, I, I think that that's something they could tell you about. But until you experience it. Okay, but if they're not telling us to become therapists, I sure as shit don't think they're telling teachers and nurses. Oh, there's no way. <laughs> they're, if they're barely prepping us for that, there's no way other helping professions aren't getting it. And that's, the really tough thing about that is, is that it leaves, especially newer therapists, feeling inadequate because... I don't know if they know that that's typical when mm -hmm. they're going through it. And also when you're going through it for the for the first time and at the beginning. Yeah. That that is something that really wears on you. And it is hard to set those emotional boundaries. And you do get so engulfed because you and that's the thing is you care so much in these professions. Mm -hmm. Right. You give so much of yourself that. Being able to learn how to set those emotional boundaries is, I don't know if it's something that can just be cerebral. It also has to be something you experience. Yeah. We were talking today on the, um, we were in the car together. And like one of the things we were talking about is that, you know, we've now been seeing clients for 10 years. And the thing is that there is certain stuff that just takes time. Yeah. There's no certain stuff. What. That like, no matter, we were just like saying, like, you know, like we work with so many other therapists and we supervise people 
and we have these amazing clinicians at the therapy group and like somebody could be the best fucking clinician in the world but like one or two years out of the field there's just certain stuff that feels different than 10 years in the field right like there's certain stuff where you like really and in some ways I said like and this is what I started talking about like a few um, episodes ago about like I have reconnected with spirituality in a way because there is so much shit that you're just like there's nothing I can do like we have so little control in this life in the beginning I felt like I had so much control and I could work so hard for my clients I could do so much and I still believe those things up to a point and still then I truly believe in the idea that I take no credit and I take no blame. So I think, you know, therapists go into becoming therapists. They want to help people, right? And then we learn all of these theories and we easily develop this almost false sense of responsibility over other people's lives Mm -hmm. where we believe like, okay, if I implement all of these theories, then I can definitely get them to fix their whatever they're struggling with. But in the end, it is up to the client to make those decisions that were simply guides. But same thing with anyone in our life. Like, let's say that we have a family member. We work so hard to help. At the end of the day, like, it's still up to them. And I think that I really like this question that somebody asked, which is how to know when I need a boundary versus when I'm trying to control the situation. A lot of times setting a boundary is actually giving up control. Because when you set a boundary, you give up control of how the other person's going to act or respond, right? Like when you don't have the boundaries, it's about in some ways controlling the outcome, right? If I overly give myself to someone, it's because I feel like I have more control over who they're going to be and what I've been prepared for. And so like actually like it's giving up control in a lot of ways. I think one of the, you know, another hard place to do that is if you have a family member or a partner who struggles with addiction. Yeah. I think that can be so incredibly challenging because you see and you know it happens in other ways outside of addiction when you see someone just self-destructing yeah right you're watching it I also think it happens you know maybe on a smaller scale if you're going to therapy and your partner is not going to therapy mm-hmm. hear this all the time where you know and what's that saying like you know you go to therapy to deal with the people in your life who won't yes, go to therapy yeah. you know where you're doing all of this work and you understand kind of relational dynamics on a different level and you see that your partner maybe hasn't done the same work and so you're able to set these new boundaries for yourself but you see your partner not being able to do the same things or you see them self-destructing or your family members, right? Like your family members might be self-destructing. And and it's so and we're, and I'm really happy you're just saying self-destructing in whatever way that might look like, because that is so hard. Oh, my like God. If you have a family yeah. member is like, you clearly have a fucking eating disorder and like there's literally nothing you can do about it. Right. Like you can say shit. You can try. But like and then especially we're talking about adults, like people make their own decisions. Absolutely. And so it is so hard to love someone to watch this happen in front of your face and still say I can do what I can do but that's it and what's my stuff first what's their stuff and that's the emotional boundary yep another question are you ready for it ready prepped how to say no to people or end relationships with toxic people I'm gonna say people with toxic behaviors when I know it will hurt them you have to be okay with hurting people that's part of an emotional that's boundary. the worst part. That's like, right? Like, it sucks. It totally sucks. But like, the thing is like, you're going to hurt people in this life. That's just part of it. Like, once again, like, we can't take away feelings. 
so that might feel bad or uncomfortable. And that's the relinquishing of control in this situation. Yeah. And right. And you can actually more than you realize. You, I burped in the microphone. I know, it's good. <laughs> more than you. You really realize, made a point with it. <laughs> more than you realize you can handle tough emotions like I know it feels so fucking unbearable and it might feel so horrible and you want to release it and get rid of it often with maladaptive coping skills but you can actually handle really bad feelings like they will not kill you one of the things that I say to myself every time I have to have a tough conversation or we have to have a tough conversation usually we're doing our tough conversations together is that I I really take the time to think about all of the tough conversations or the tough things that I've been through in the past and that the things that once felt so huge to me and so anxiety-provoking, I always got through. And now looking back at them, they feel so much smaller. Mm. And they right now, that feels so heavy to be able to have this conversation to tell this person that you no longer want them in your lives. But clearly it's something that's important for you. It's something that you need to do for yourself to to take care of yourself. And even though right now it feels so hard, there will be a time in which it doesn't feel as heavy and you will move through it. Every hard conversation leads to growth beautiful right so true it's i mean i do i do feel like every hard conversation no matter how uncomfortable it is i feel proud it's also like having a relationship with yourself and keeping promises to yourself which like helps grow self-esteem oh yeah yeah i do think yeah whether it's hard conversations any hard thing that you go through allows you to grow yeah and that i think is it's, a, it's something that's difficult to remember when you're in the thick of the anxiety around yeah. going through that hard thing. But so essential to remember, to know that, like, you will get through it. You will grow through it. I mean, the coolest thing I also think about is that, like, nothing's ever set in stone, right? Like, you can, like, make a mistake in a conversation that one day on a Thursday and then on Friday be like, I would like to redo here, you know, like asking <laughs> for a redo in this conversation. I'd like to start over. Like, yeah. I-, I see this is not going well. Like, I'm a really big fan of do-overs. Totally. It's and like being a saying human. golf, isn't it? Like you get like a, what's that saying? You don't fucking know. Why would I ever ask you I that I question? Golf. <laughs> I think I play any sport. Why would I? Ever pool. that question. All I right. Like pool. Speaking of golf, this has literally nothing to do with golf. <laughs> Let's do a Dear Em and Jen. I'm ready. Dear Em and Jen, can you speak on sexuality changing later in life? I'm in the process of potentially leaving my marriage and heterosexual relationship as I've fallen in love with a woman. Do you think this seems to be more common these days or is it that more people are sharing? I'd love any words of wisdom. One, congratulations. That's amazing. It's amazing and probably incredibly hard and uncomfortable. I do think it's happening more these days, but not because it wasn't before, but actually because we're at a time where women are financially able to leave marriages in a different way. And it's more socially acceptable and destigmatized. It's still a huge stigma of leaving your marriage and also of coming out with sexuality later on in life. But I think there's actually like more tangible means that allows women to leave relationships that aren't working for them that 50 years ago women did not have. So do I think women were falling in love with each other 50 years ago? Fuck yeah. Women have been falling in love with each other for the end of time to the beginning of time, I should say. 
And they will until the end of time. But I do think it's more common now because there's more space for it. And of course, people do share more. I think that's one of the coolest things about social media, especially TikTok, is like you are seeing like actual like lived experience in the raw. So can you speak on sexuality changing in life? The thing is, is a lot of times we figure out who we are later in life because we figure out what didn't work for us. And also the reality is, is when you have been taught one very specific way, especially when you only had models of heterosexual relationship, you don't even consider what else there could be. And then sometimes you just fall in love with someone and it just works. And sometimes the way in which you figure out what works for you is to do the things that don't work for you. And so if you're, you know, sometimes the only way to figure out what doesn't work for you is to have those experiences. And sometimes those experiences, you know, have to happen and get you to a point where you are just later in life, right? That we, I think we learn who we are over time, right? And the more time we have, the more we get to know ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your ability to go deeper and deeper and deeper with yourself, I think is such an incredible journey to be on. And it sounds like you have become empowered to take that journey and to be able to say, who am I? What do I want? what works for me, what hasn't worked for me, and now what works for me. Right. One of my favorite sayings is you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes you don't know the love of another human until you know that human, right? Like sometimes there's just things that you don't know until you know, and then you find them and you can't ignore them again. And so I think it's really easy for us to want to be obsessed with like, well, was I gay before? Was I not? Was I, what does this mean about this? But sometimes there isn't like these really like specific black and white answers and it's way more abstract than that but i think a lot of us when we've been taught about sexuality especially i have um a cousin of mine who's queer what one time says to me lady gaga really fucked us (laughs) because she made with this idea that you're born this way a lot of us you just experience it and you don't know until you find out what works for you sexually. And I have loved that idea ever since that until you try something new, do you really know what works and doesn't work for you? So if you enjoyed today's episode of String Chicks, we hope you rate, view, and subscribe. You can follow on Apple Podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube. You can follow String Chicks. You can always meet with one of our amazing clinicians at the therapy group. If you live in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Delaware, Massachusetts, Florida, or California. And as always, we love you. And to know your and to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.